What do y'all want to talk about? <clears throat> y'all always start the same way, right? <laughs> what do y'all want to talk about? <laughs> I try to be gracious and not... I, I drive the conversation so much. I try to give people an opportunity to throw something out there without me driving the the horse all the time. Anyone? Well, there's a lady uh, who lives in Canada who posted something on our Bible study page. And if this is kind of the direction we're going, I'll read it. It says, hey, I Matt, we can't hear. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. She said, I've been thinking lately that the cross is actually where we are currently. We're not on the way, but actually there. And the things in us that are infected with death are dying away. One by one, he's exposing the death in our flesh. Jesus came to not only do a job, but to show us the process to their plan. I like it best when I know what's going on. He shows us what's going on with us and where it's leading us. It's not the death of us. It's the death of what's been killing us. Seeing this is causing me to say, this really hurts, Daddy, but I don't want to come down. Please don't let me come down because I want to see what comes after this part. And I desperately want what comes next. And he gives me his grace, his power, working in me to bring forth what he has promised his life. And also keep in mind, guys, speak up because they're way over there. And if we just try and talk normal, they're not going to hear. So what did that speak to you? The part that really stood out to me is where she said, I like knowing what's going on. Because <laughs> so many times in religiosity, we've been brought into this idea of a blind faith and not having a clue what's happening. But Jesus said, he said, I tell you what I'm doing. Yeah. Anybody else have any thoughts about that? I just really like the idea that uh, our God is a show and tell kind of guy. He didn't just come and tell us. <clears throat> His son came, God came in the flesh and showed us. He showed us the life that the father had. He showed us who the father was. And then he got on the cross to show us the death that's taking place and then the life that comes after that death. And I, I'm a person, I, I need to be shown. And you talked about he didn't give us a blind faith. No, he gave us a faith that we could hear it and we could see it. And you see that when um, the power of that, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that was a show and tell moment. <laughs> Amen. And it had an effect. <laughs> I responded to a post earlier this week where the person was saying, God's going to show himself. It was a carnal post, right? And I, when I, was, I couldn't help it. And I said, but God has already shown himself to us in Jesus, right? And just was able to explain what the gospel really was. It wasn't about punishing people for bad thoughts and doing bad things. This is the good news. And it was just a great opportunity because that person thought that God was going to reveal himself later on down the road instead of understanding that God's already revealed himself to us and all we need to do is look. Right. And he's there. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're still looking for another sign. Yeah, you bet. Right? <laughs> we we always need a new sign. A new sign. The old sign. And normally when we need a new sign, it's because we never saw the first sign. And we were busy with signs in this world. And when you're looking to signs in this world to be stabilized or to be satisfied, you'll always need another sign. It doesn't matter how powerful the first sign was. If it's of the world, you'll still need another sign. Right? And and I think of myself when we were starting the church and I become convinced we should not start the church. What were we thinking? <laughs> right? Like, what are we thinking? We're just gonna take our money, we're gonna go to Panama City, I'm gonna get a nice straw hat, we're gonna get nice tans, we're gonna rent some we're gonna buy some boats and jet skis and we're just gonna rent them out. <laughs> and I was sure that's all we were gonna do. Because I become very persuaded that I was not thinking straight. God is not with me. We are not starting this church. And then a guy came, and we call it read your mail. But the guy told me all the things I was thinking about, right? For instance, one of the things that God had told me a year before we started the church was to be praying Luke 4, 17 and 18 over myself. And that's the spirit of the Lord is upon you. For he hath anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent you to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, the acceptable year of the Lord, right? All those things. Well, I heard a voice telling me, you can't pray that. You're not Jesus. And I was like, that's right. I'm not Jesus. What am I thinking? And I was ready to lay that down. And then a guy showed up in the church out of the blue I'd never met before, never seen before, never been in that church before this guy. He was some Indian guy from New Mexico. And when we were leaving, he stood back and pointed at me. And you know what he said to me? The spirit of the Lord is upon you, for he hath anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. Now this was, and then he went on to tell me all the things. And this was a magnificent sign, right? Like that sign was some profound stuff. And like immediately in that moment, I become persuaded God's with me. Nothing can stop me. You know, when you really think God's with you, nothing can stop you. When you really think that, nothing can stop you. Well, that's a pretty powerful sign. And you would think that that sign could last all my days. That's a good enough sign, you would think. But it wasn't six months later when things weren't going good at the church, and I'm thinking the same thing. We got to get up out of here. We heard the Lord wrong. He told Abraham to leave his homeland, not to go back to his homeland. What am I doing here? I mean, seriously, I was ready to dial it up. And so I messaged that prophet guy back because I got his number. And I thought, I'm going to message this guy because I need another sign. I need another word. And I messaged him and that guy said, listen, brother, you're the prophet, not me. I'm in need of the word that you have. Now, I didn't think that was a sign at the time. <laughs> I thought that that was not a good sign, right? He was trying. He was still giving me a word, even in not giving me a yeah. word. But something that happened shortly after that was God said real clearly to me, have you considered the word I've given you, Greg? Have you considered the sign that I gave everyone in Jesus? Hmm. I didn't really know what that meant, but he began unraveling it because I... You know, you'd write all your words on uh, sticky notes and you'd have them on your mirror, on your Bible, everywhere. So you could be reminded, so you can meditate, so you can confess, right? And I'm busy looking through my notebooks. What word, Lord? What sign? Where's it at? I don't see it. And then he was like, the word that I gave you in Jesus. The sign that I gave in Jesus. And I'd never really stopped and considered that. But that's really the only sign that will satisfy you. It's the only sign that can convince you or persuade you that God's with you. It's the only sign that can teach you about who God is. 
It's the only sign that can discern your life for you, that can explain your life and explain God to you and explain your life with God to you. It's the only thing that can. And if you try and look for other things, you'll you'll find yourself in the woe is me's, right? You know, it's kind of interesting about signs. You know, the world's looking for signs. But a sign is only an indicator of something that's coming. That's what a sign is. It, it, the sign itself is an indicator. So if you're looking for an indicator, but never experiencing the thing that the sign is pointing to, you're looking for nothing. You're looking for some miraculous thing to appear that might cause you to believe. But that's not what a sign is. A sign is an indicator of that which is coming. Uh, Jesus said immediately after the, uh, the tribulation of that period, shall the sign of the Son of Man appear in the sky, in the heavens. But that sign that appears in the sky ain't the thing. It is only an indicator of that which is coming. The only thing that matters is that which is coming so that you can experience God when he comes to this earth and you face him in immortal flesh, the, 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 the body he created for you to live forever in with him. So that's the reality. A sign appearing in the sky ain't, ain't what you're really looking for. It's what's, what it's pointing to. Yeah. Yeah. Am I wrong in thinking? Because I've always looked at the, the sign as confirming of what's already been done. The sign points to what's already been done. done. In the sense of signs, wonders, and miracles. But in the sense of Jesus saying, one sign will be given you. The sign even of Jonah in the belly of the whale. Right? In that sense, there's one sign. There's one sign that you look to to determine whether or not you're loved by God. What is it? Is it what happens in this world? No. no. God himself came into this world. What happened to him? They crucified him. Okay. Well, we're busy looking to a world that we think can affirm us. We're busy looking to what happens for us in the world, good or bad, to determine whether or not we're loved by God. God himself came into the world and the world nailed him to a cross. So if you're busy looking at how it goes down for you in the world to determine whether or not you're loved by God, you're not looking at the right sign, right. right? And so when you think of whether or not you're loved by God, there's one place you're supposed to look to, the cross and the resurrection, right? Because at the cross, you see God explaining what the gospel is all about. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. It says Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Well, there's God at the cross. That's God, right? That's Emmanuel. That's God with us on the cross. And he's trying to explain to us what the, what the gospel, what we call Christianity, is all about. And what do you see God on the cross saying to all of us? That he's very upset with us because of our bad behavior? And if we can act better, then he'll be happy with us? Is that what God's saying at the cross? No. no. Do you see him asking for anything from anyone at the cross? You don't see him asking that, do you? Do you know what you see at God doing at the cross? You see his heart for humanity laid bare. You see what he thinks about you laid bare at the cross. And do you know what is laid bare at the cross? that it bothered this guy so much 
to think about you dying that he rather take your death into himself and die your death for you than let you die. And we can kind of understand a sentiment like that, right? Except for us, we'll lay down our life maybe for a righteous person. You ever see how moved we get when somebody lays down their life for somebody else? You ever notice how it tugs in your heart? I mean, Veterans Day just passed up. Memorial Day. One of the things is how that that tugs in my heart, right? Because you think about someone that laid down their life for other people, right? And and Paul would come and say, some would lay down their life for a righteous person, right? Or for someone that was, was godly. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet dead in sin, we were dead. He entered into the earth and laid down his life for us. So at the cross, God's telling you what this gospel, what the Christianity, if we want to use that word, what it's all about. It's about a father laying down his life for his children. Because when he saw his children suffering and perishing and dying and laboring, trying to give themselves life, it rent him in the deepest part of his being. It bothered him. It bothered him so much that he said, I'd rather come and take their death into myself than let them die. That's God on the cross. Right? What did you say, Gwen? Only a father would die for his children. Only a father would die for his children. You actually, your heart can't believe in a God that wouldn't rather die himself than let you die. Because you can't trust somebody with your life that you don't think or that you're not fully persuaded that they'd rather die themselves than let you die. That's the kind of care you need. If you're going to like give your life over into somebody's arms, these are some of the things that you need to see about them. You need to see that they possess these characteristics. And one of the characteristics you need to see they possess is that this guy's not trying to get anything from you. That's right. This guy's trying to give everything to you. And that when this guy finds your life suffering at the hands of death, he loves your life so much that he's going to come and take your death into himself. He's going to come and stand in the way and take the bullet that's coming for you. Yes. And when you see that guy do that, you start to think, this guy loves me. Yeah. And then you start asking the question, well, if he doesn't want something from me, and he's not demanding something from me, but he, he's here taking the, the bullet that had my name on it, and he's doing it gladly, then what's he here for? Yeah. What's he come to do? That's, that's the logic you start tracking down. And then do you know what comes shortly after that? You see the resurrection. And now you see the thought and intent of God's heart for your life. And that's where Jesus said, glorify me, that it would glorify you. One of the things he's saying there is, raise me up from the dead. And since I'm a human being, these people will no longer wonder what you're busy with. They'll no longer wonder what you're after. They'll no longer wonder what thought you have for them or what the intent is in your heart for them when you find them dead in sin. But they'll know real clearly your intentions towards them even when you find them dead in sin. I mean, even with like relationships. We all want to be married to somebody and date somebody that can love us even when we screw it all up. Don't we? We want someone to just love us unconditionally. And where we can be persuaded that they only think good about us even when we fail or when we're not performing so well. Well, God showed himself to be that way. 
in the cross and the resurrection because we were all dead in sin. We were all dying. And God showed us that even while we were dead, even while we were dying, his heart was filled with beauty towards us. He still believed the best about us. He still wanted to come and do right by us. And that's what you see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This, this is what this guy wants to do with my life. He wants to glorify me with the life that can't die. He wants to give me a body that can never taste weakness or ever die. He wants to give me a peace and a love and a joy that can never be compromised, that can never be overcome. That's what this is about? How much did you hear about what I just said that entails what you must do? Nothing. 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 Zero. We've taught Christianity from the perspective of we're going to be the God of God and that we're going to be the ones that serve him with peace and love and joy. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to act right. And if we can come together and do enough of the things right that he wants us to do, then we'll serve him with life. If we can lay down our life for him, then we're going to serve him with life. And we've never realized how bass backwards it is. I mean, we, we come together and we tell people, you got to lay down your life for the Lord. But the Lord laid down his life for you. Right? you got to serve the Lord. No, the Lord came to serve you. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. In the moment, Peter's like, you're not washing my feet, I'm going to wash your feet. Jesus rebuked him. It's more blessed to give than to receive. God knows that. We've been thinking God thinks it's more blessed to receive than to give. And we think when he sees us, he sees us like a pod person, right? Then he can suck stuff out of And if he can suck enough of the right stuff out of us, then he'll be filled with peace and love and joy. <laughs> right? Seriously, that, that's the gospel we've been taught. And, and, and so then that becomes born in us. Right? We think it's better to receive than to give. Because that's the God we believe in. Always demanding. And you know what? Every God in this world, they all demand. That's why there's a difference between Yahweh and every other God in the earth. Because he's the only one not demanding. He's the only one giving. He's the only one not looking to receive. He's looking to pour out. Right? And that's what we see in this gospel with God. And that's the God that we're busy with. And that's why the cross and the resurrection is a sign that explains God to us. Because we didn't know who God was. We thought God was like all the other gods that we created with our own imaginations. He wants us to do these things, and if we can do these things right, then he'll bless us. That's what we thought, right? Well, God's like, these dudes don't understand. And so he said, the only way they're going to understand is if I enter into human flesh and dwell with them and I explain myself to them. So Jesus is God with us, explaining God to us, right? And we always say that actions speak louder than words, don't we? Well, here this guy demonstrated what's in his heart for you. And like Jesus said in John 17, no longer do you not know what my father's busy with. But you know because he calls you friends. And the resurrection is what God wants to do with your life. That, that's what he wants to do. I don't know if, it, if we've all come to this place yet. Some of these young people, they maybe hadn't reached the place where they're considering mortality. But the problem we all have is that we're all dying. <laughs> when's the last time someone you love died and you felt happy about it 
When's the last time you were indifferent to it when you saw someone you love suffering? How about yourself when you're suffering? Do you like it? Are you like, oh, hallelujah, where can I find some more suffering? <laughs> and so what we're needing is to be delivered from the suffering that comes from the death that's in this world. That's what we're needing. Well, God comes and explains it to us. and He doesn't just explain it to us like, yeah. Because listen, when somebody gives you yeah, you don't want to hear from somebody that ain't suffered like you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You become inconsolable. Don't talk to me. You don't know. We, we all, you don't know. Well, still, so God is busy trying to tell us, I'm intimately acquainted with what's hurting you. And it bothers me. It grieves my heart that you're suffering at the hands of death and that your imagination has been filled with laboring and toiling, trying to gather life. And it hurts me to see all the death that's coming out of you because of that. Well, there's a whole Old Testament of God trying to tell humans that. And we're all, you don't know. How can you know? You're God. Right? You're not ever busy feeling grieved. You're not ever busy feeling sorrowful. You're like the great and powerful Oz, right? You're just indifferent. You're like a robot. And God's like, the way we're going to explain to them that we're intimately acquainted with what's destroying their life and what's hurting their life is we're going to enter up into the middle of it. Yeah. And we're going to allow that death that torments all of our people, we're going to let it manifest in us on the cross. And from there, we're going to talk to them and we're going to show them not only do we have what they need, but we see what hurts them. And not only do we see what hurts them, but we have something in us that can heal them from their hurt. And that's what we're busy with. And now you see God explain that real quickly, real clearly in the cross and the resurrection. You want to know what hurts mankind? Death. You want to know what bothers us? Death. You want to know who knows what bothers us? God. You want to know the one who can do something about death? God. He proved it to us when he raised Jesus from the dead, free from the death of the cross, never to die again. And now we see this guy knows what hurts us. And this guy has a life that can heal us from what hurts us. Now you're knocking fools out the way trying to get to this guy. (laughs) Like people were doing with Jesus. Because, listen, whenever any of us is suffering with some ailment, and it's wearing on us, what happens the moment we think we find somebody that has an answer for what ails us? Knocking things out the way, pushing people, pushing kids down. I mean, you're just trying to get there, right? They got the magic elixir. You see what I'm saying? And so God demonstrates this. I know. And he demonstrates that he hurts with us, that he's crying with us that he's not indifferent to our pain. He's not like, why are they in pain? I mean, don't they know I'm God? (laughs) That's not what he's like. He gets it that we're in pain. It makes sense to him that death could bother us, right? But he understands that he's got the healing power. He's got a life that heals death even. And he come to put that on display in our midst so we could see. Right, And that we would come to him, or rather we would see he's come to us. Right? Mm -hmm. And you become put to rest by it. It's a sign that you see that if you believe in that sign, he gives you his eternal life. Mm -hmm. And that life heals you and and provides you with the eternal life you look for. Yeah, you'll call upon the name of the Lord. Yeah, You'll see that this guy, we all want peace and love and joy and kindness, and meekness, patience, 
We all want that fruit in our hearts. Well, that fruit can only come forth from an incorruptible life, right? And God shows us that inside of himself. It's interesting how many times you've said God shows us, we see, when we see, and he's anointed. He's anointed you to bring sight to the blind. Yeah. Which goes back to what I originally said. It, it, we like knowing what's going on. You know, it used to confuse me. I would read in Proverbs about uh, in all you're getting, get understanding. But at the same time, it said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. I'm like, well, why do I need to get understanding if I'm not supposed to lean to it? And then I come to see what he was saying is I should be getting his understanding. Okay. And now all of a sudden we walk, we go forth. We live by, we walk by faith and not by sight. And that doesn't mean we walk, we, we, we don't, we don't walk by sight. We walk in blindness. No, all of a sudden the faith becomes our sight. Yeah. When we see this and we start coming and we start walking from this understanding and we know what's going on. That's it. I mean, he comes and shows that, that he can be the father that we need. Right. And you know, when, when you think your father fails you, and when you think your father fails you, it's because you don't think they gave you what you needed, right? And immediately you can feel like a distance or a separation. You feel like you're not loved, right? Well, how many of you want to feel loved? How many of you want to feel peace? How many of you want to feel joy? How many of you want to feel patience? How many? All of us want those things, right? Well, listen, those things come forth from an incorruptible life. And what God did was he come to show us that he's able to father those things in us. He's able to give us what we need. And immediately when we see this guy has the power to give birth to peace and love and joy inside of us, what happens is, is we start to call him father. And I don't just mean in words. I'm talking about the inner workings of the heart where your heart begins to look to God and what he's done to father life in you. And then what happens is, is you stop calling the world father. You stop looking to the things in the world for peace to be fathered in you. We're looking for somebody to father our life. And when I say that, we're looking for something that can give birth to peace and love and joy in us. All of us are. All of us want peace and love and joy, and all of us are looking somewhere right now to find it. Yeah. All of us think there's different things that can be the seal of the deal in our lives. Well, God doesn't come and demand that you call him father. He shows himself as father by showing you he possesses the ability to produce or to father peace and love and joy in you. And what happens is, is your heart starts looking to him for peace and love and joy, and you find your desire for peace and love and joy satisfied, and then your heart lays down all the things it's looking for peace and love and joy from in this world. And that's when, the, you're, that's when, like Jesus, you, you come to the place where you say, I'm dead to the world and the world to me. Right? You realize the world can't father peace and love and joy in me. And God demonstrated he can do that. That means he's father. Because that's what I need. And this guy can do it. That can only mean one thing. He's father. Right? And that's what God come to persuade us of in the cross and the resurrection. 
that he can serve us with the life that we need, the life that we long for. He can give our lives the care that it needs. We don't need to look for another father. We don't need to look in the earth or live in the earth as if we're orphans, needing to gather all the things in the world to ourselves so they can give us peace. We have a guy named God who has showed us he can give our lives the care they need. And when you see that he can give your life the care that it needs, your heart says, Abba. Your heart cries out, Father. Right? And you begin looking to him when you need peace. You begin talking with him when you need joy. You begin talking to him when you feel upset or tormented. Instead of going to all of our go-to things that we all go to. Yeah. Right? And you become persuaded. I mean, we have this dynamic in the world. I, I counsel a lot of people. And without fail, whenever somebody is upset with their earthly father, it's because they think they didn't give them something they needed for life. That's why they're upset. And you'll even have them say, well, they're not my dad. They were never there. And what are they saying? They never gave my life the care that it needs. They're not my dad. And so God comes and shows us. No longer are we in the, the dark about what this guy intends to do with our life or what his thoughts are towards our life. We see the thoughts he has towards us in the cross and in the resurrection, the glorification. We see that this is what this guy has in his mind to do with our lives. And that's what we need. We all need a life that can't die. That's what we need. Paul on the road to Damascus. He thought he knew what he needed, and he thought, you know what? The best seat in the synagogue can be the father of my life. The best seat in the synagogue can give me peace. All the accolades in the world, if I can get the right degrees, if I can be high priest, that can father peace in my life. If I can perform all the works of the law, that can father joy in my life. He was busy thinking that those things could give his life the care that it needed. But then he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he saw what the eternity that was always in his heart that he could never put words to. Right? Because Paul had eternity in his heart. And then he sees Jesus and he's like, wait a second. That dude was dead. And now not only is he not dead, but he's clothed in the glory of God. The same glory that came down in the temple in the Old Testament has now manifested in this dude. All of a sudden, he realized that God is his father and that God was the only thing that could father life in him. Because he realized the best seats in the house might be nice, but it can't give me that. The right degrees are nice, but it can't give me that. The right spouse the right children, the right girlfriend, the right boyfriend, the right school, the right country, the right president, the right government. Whatever it is you can wrap your mind around. The right economy. It's nice, the but right it color. can't the right color. It's nice. Say it. Say it. What? It's right the right color. The right color. Yeah, cuz that's a problem here. <laughs> and embracing the reality of the new man. Yeah. See, there's only one, like you said last week, the new man yeah. is what he was after. Yeah. So if we if we want to take the gospel to a, a step further, these also issues have to be settled yeah. in our hearts. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. 
That's all I got to say. Glory to God. <laughs> there is no right color. Exactly. Just like there's no right government or right economy. That's right. Let's put it out there on the Well, when, when you're talking about what has the ability to be the father you need. Yes. None of those things have yes. the ability to father your life. None of those things can nurture you unto life. None of those things can pamper you with peace and love That's and right. joy. Right? But... Paul saw in Jesus that God can father yes. all those things now. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's when his heart cried out, Abba. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. God yes. promised Adam from the beginning, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. That's what God said to Adam. I will decorate you in the fruit of my life. I will pamper you with peace and love and joy. That's what God promised Adam from the beginning. I will be the father that you need. I will produce, I will serve you with the life that you need. I will provide you with the nutrients that can nurture you unto peace and love and joy. That's what God promised Adam in the beginning. That's what God reaffirmed all throughout the Old Testament. That's what he proved again in the cross and in the resurrection. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. You guys see that? Well, I'm still twisting, well, I'll say spinning, (laughs) on the revelation that you dropped on at the dinner table the other night about the resurrection is the proof oh, yeah. of what died at the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we think um, what it did in my heart was is that anything that can produce death in me, that that actually died. The resurrection is my proof yeah. that that thing died. Yeah. And so whatever it is, that's why I brought out color. Mm-hmm. Because that's a big issue right now with BLM Mm -hmm. that we are somehow not in that family. And so that's where that division, which is that death that is being produced in the hearts of people who believe that. Yeah. And so when you said that the other night, I'm thinking all addiction because it was based on an addiction that this individual came to the revelation of he saw that that thing died at the cross and i began to see that all of these things all of these things that have us in our minds bound if we see that truth that reality that that thing, the resurrection is my proof. That's also something else that comes in and shores up my heart. Absolutely. To know that whatever I'm dealing with in an addictive way, whether it be sugar, whether it be food, whether it be- um, Work. Whatever. Yeah, work. Working out. Working out. All of the stuff that we are addicted to, that the resurrection is proof that that thing died. So I'm I'm just seeing it from a whole different aspect of my own physical being. Yeah. You know, and letting the father speak to me about that because it was so powerful that it's I felt like it was rearranging things inside of me. It is. You know. 
just rearranging <coughs> on a cellular level, I mean. Yeah. Mm. No, and it is, and it will. <laughs> no. Like like Sierra said about understanding. Yeah. I want to understand. Well, that, that simple <laughs> statement, the resurrection is the proof of what died on the cross. Yes. It's not just an something for Jesus. It's meant to discern your life. Do you yeah. know when you're having hard times? It feels like you're dying, doesn't it? It feels like it's the end for you. It feels like your life is being overcome. Well, the resurrection is supposed to come and declare to you, it's not you that's dying. Yeah. It's the thing that's tormenting your life that's dying. When you feel this weakness, when you feel this anxiety, it's not a sign that your life is being overcome because the resurrection come to tell you that your life can't be overcome. What it's a sign of that's dying is the sin and death that's tried to destroy your life. And that gives you understanding when you feel weak, when you feel anxiety. And the weakness and the anxiety is trying to speak to you. And it's trying to tell you that it's the end of your life. It's the end of your world. The resurrection comes to show you, no, it's not you that's dying. It's not you that's coming to an end. It's not you that can be overcome. <laughs> it's the sin and death that's coming against your life. That's what's dying. That's what we see died on the cross. And the resurrection proves to us that the cross wasn't about life dying. The cross was about death dying. And now we see that for our own lives. Because do you know when we're tempted? Do you know what gives the devil something in us? When he's able to come to us and convince us that our life is coming to an end. Or everything that's good that we hold on to is over. And we're being overcome. That's how he tempts us to pick up our life. So the moment we feel anxiety or we feel stressed or pressed in upon, if he can convince us, it's us that's dying. It's all that's good that's dying. Your life is being overcome. If he can convince you of that, guess what you're now going to do? You're going to grab onto this and you're going to put that to work. But if you can now see the resurrection, no, comes and discerns the death that was happening at the cross. And we see Jesus was raised up from the dead, never to die again. So it wasn't him that was dying. It was the body of death that he was clothed in that was dying. And the way he put off the body of death was the cross. And then he put off the sin and the death that was tormenting him. And so it was the sin and the death that went into the grave. And it's the sin and the death that died because he came out of the grave free from sin and death. That's right. And that's supposed to tell you about your life. When you think all hell is breaking loose and you think everything good that you hold dear is being destroyed and you feel that, the resurrection comes and tells you what you're feeling is actually your heart being divorced from the death and the life that's in the world. That's the place where resurrection manifests. And so the gospel even comes and gives you eyes to be able to look at the hard times you're experiencing and understand that that pressing in that you feel is like a diamond. When a diamond is, is being crushed or the coal is being crushed and a perfect diamond comes out. Right? And you, then, you know what you find? A great grace and a strength comes alive inside of you in the midst of hard times. A confidence. A boldness. Because you realize, I, it's not the end of me. <laughs> Nothing can be the end of me. Right? I have an eternal life. It's the end of the torment the world has tried to bring to me since I was little. Right? Because the world don't wait till you become grown to bring torment to you. No. The world comes knocking at a young age. Yeah. The world comes knocking at a young age to try to shape your life mm -hmm. and to bring pain to your heart. And to get you to try to clothe yourself or build up walls in your own heart to save yourself from pain. The world comes to get you to, to, to do that at a very young age. 
right? And the way that it does that is it convinces you that your life is being harmed and being overcome. And that's how it got you to build up the walls and enlist your own ability. And that's what it does your whole life. And do you know what it uses to do that? The things in the world that you can see are right. Because the things in the world that you can see aren't right. Do you know what they're trying to tell you? They ain't trying to tell you that they're perishing or passing away. Do you know what they're trying to tell you? You're going to perish and pass away. But the resurrection is the proof that the corruption in the world that we see that we don't like, the resurrection is the proof that that is perishing and passing away. The corruption, not us, not life, not all that is good. It's the corruption that's dying, right? That's why Paul would say it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Yeah. He didn't set us free from, uh, like, uh, doing bad things. He set us free from attaching our life to things that are perishing in the world that can't give us life so that we can actually enjoy life knowing that we're set free from the bonds that, that chain us to the things that are dying. Yes. And we can enjoy life because our life isn't dependent on the things contained in this world. That's right. right. Yeah. This is the verse of scripture that came to me. I mean, I'm just popping it up. James 1, 2, I understand. Count it all joy, my brethren. Yeah. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith or the faith produces steadfastness. Yeah. That's how we do trials. Yeah. We know. We yeah. know how our faith gets down. Yeah. The faith. We've seen what the faith does <laughs> when it encounters corruption. We see it in the cross and the resurrection. That's inside of us. It's supposed to give us a certainty. So you, you can even feel joyful in the midst of a storm because you realize that the faith that you're believing on, it's precious. It's been tried in the fire. We don't, it's not like, well, we don't know what it will do. We've seen what it does. And do you know what it does? It consumes death and darkness yeah. to the uttermost. That's what it does. And that's what's inside of us. Right? And the freedom thing, yeah, Maurice. We, we've confused freedom in, in, in Western Christianity. I don't even want to say Western Christianity, all Christianity. Our idea was free, of freedom was that God was judging us and very upset with us because of our bad behavior. Yeah. And we think freedom is this guy's no longer doing that. Yeah. That's how we define freedom. That's not what freedom is. It's a whole, it's a perverted view of what freedom is. And then your idea of freedom is I can do all the things that I wasn't doing before when I thought God was judging me. Right? <laughs> now listen, you can do all the things. And God's not holding it against you. And he's not condemning you. Right? He's still loving you. But that's not what freedom is. And that's how we defined it in the body of Christ. We said God expected us to do all these things. And then we didn't do any of them. And so because we didn't do any of them, he's smiting us, he's punishing us, he's judging us, he's condemning us. And then we call freedom, the way we've described freedom, is now he come and took all of that anxiety and anger out on Jesus, and now we're free, as if we're free from him being angry with us. But that's a perversion. That's not what freedom is. Freedom is like Marie so beautifully just described. 
where bondage, I mean, does, do people know what bondage is? We thought the bondage we were in is that God was Pharaoh. We've actually explained God as if he was Pharaoh, as if God expected us to build or produce the fruit of the Spirit. And if we could produce the fruit of the Spirit and then show it to him, then he would be happy with us. But that sounds like Pharaoh telling the Hebrews to make bricks with no straw. How can a person who's got death in their body till their dying body to produce the fruit of life? You can't. You can't. And so our whole idea of freedom is completely perverted. What did freedom look like in the life of the Hebrews? Free from trying to produce life themselves. That's what they were free from. Someone else was now providing them with life. They were free from looking to their own strength to try to serve themselves with life. That's what the freedom was. And to Maurice's point so beautifully, the way we get drawn into that type of dynamic is when we intertwine our lives with the corruptible things in this world, right? Because immediately we see ourselves as one with something that's perishing. And we can never feel okay about that. That's when we're going to try to make bricks with no straw, right? And so freedom looks like God delivering you from intertwining yourself with the world and the life that's in the world and you find that you see you're braided together with god right and in that place is where freedom is found freedom from trying to serve yourself with peace and love and joy freedom from trying to clothe yourself with the things that are in this world that's what freedom looks like right i'm free from the bondage what's it say we were all our days in bondage through the fear of death so the bondage is we see corruption, and then because we see corruption and we don't like it, we enlist our own strength to try to fix or perfect ourselves from the corruption. That's the bondage. And so how are we set free from that? God delivers us or divorces us from the earth, not the earth, the world, the death that's in the world, and now we're braided together with him. And so now we're free from trying to serve ourselves with life because we look to the life he served us with. That's what real freedom is. For so long, under the penal substitution view, where I thought freedom was, I'm free from God being angry with me. Mm -hmm. Do you know where that left my life for like a cool decade? Getting high all the time. Because freedom to me was, God's no longer judging me for all these things I thought he was judging me for before. And so now that freedom was that I can do all these things now. Hallelujah. Amen. Right? And the deal was, is God was never judging me for doing those things. Nice. <laughs> and so freedom could never be that he's not judging me for doing these things, because he never was. That's a construct of modern Christianity. Yeah. Right? And it left me still looking to the drugs. And do you know why you look to the drugs? For peace. Yeah. For joy. For rest. So even though I was free, quote unquote, it's for freedom. He has set me free. My view of freedom left me still in bondage and not knowing it, rejoicing in the bondage. I mean, you'll make yourself a big plate of flesh and you'll eat it up and you'll be, oh, hallelujah, thinking that this is what freedom's about. Right? And I make fun of myself. So if anybody's there, I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of my own ideology that I took from perversion. And then I, what I realized was, that, well, no, I'm 
that's, I'm not, I am free, but I'm not walking in the freedom because I'm still looking to the drugs to find, the, to be clothed in the yeah. fruit of the spirit. Yeah. So I'm still in bondage. I'm still trying to make bricks without straw. I'm still under the reign of Pharaoh in my heart, right? I'm still crying out for what the flesh can serve me. And then I realized, oh, wait a second. No, freedom is, is that I'm no longer condemned to the kind of life where I'm all the time roaming around like a nomad trying to find life for myself. Because that's what it can be like. You could be like a nomad, right? Where you're like roaming around. Why, why do the nomads roam around from place to place looking for life? So the freedom is, I'm no longer living like a nomad, roaming around looking for life. I'm no longer looking at people as if they can add to my life or take away from my life. I'm no longer looking for a person to make me feel whole. I'm no longer looking to the world to make me feel whole. I am whole, right? Out of union with the Father that's perfect, right? You see the perfection of the Father, and you, you see his perfection towards you. And that is what sets you free from trying to perfect your own life. And that's what perfection looks like for us. Right? Jesus said, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, perfection for the Father looks different than perfection for a child. Because the Father is not a child, and the child is not the Father. So what's perfection for the Father doesn't look the same as perfection for a child. So what does it mean that the Father's perfect? He's perfect as the one that can deliver you and redeem you from the death that's in the world and serve you with the life you need. Well, what's perfection for a child? Perfection for us is just to see this guy's perfect. Because when we see he's perfect as the life giver, as the lover of our lives, we become as little children. No longer taking thought of how we're going to produce life ourselves because we see we have a father whose good pleasure is to give birth to life in us. So be ye perfect is for you to live as a little child. That's what perfection looks like for us. Not that we see that the Father's perfect, and now we try to produce His perfection. No, it's that we see He's perfect, and so we no longer have to concern ourselves with gathering life to ourselves. We see this guy will serve us with life. His life, he, this guy's so perfect, this Father, he even chases us down with life. And then we become His little children, no longer looking around to see how we can gather life. That's how we're perfect, right? Because we were made to be Little children. We were not made to father our own lives. And, and so that's what perfection would look like for us. Right? Where we're so persuaded that he's father, that we're put to rest from all of our labors trying to father peace and rest for ourselves. Right? But if, if you come and define freedom within the construct of God being angry with you, and now freedom is he's not angry with me, you will never walk in the freedom, and you'll struggle nonstop. And I see that in a lot of the gray circles, because that's how they define freedom, as if our bondage was God's anger with us. It's not God's anger that put us in bondage. So you, didn't, you, could, you could feel relief if you thought he was angry with you, and now all of a sudden you realize he's not. You can feel relief. Relief is not life as our good friend Rick Sarver would say. Relief is not life. And so if our problem was never God's anger with us, we can feel relief to hear that he's not angry with us now, but that can never be what produces life in us. Neither can it be what heals us from the bondage we're in. Right? And freedom for me is not having to prove myself. 
anymore. Amen. To the world or even to myself. Yeah. And why would you have that mentality to begin with? Because I'm depending on the world. Yes, that's exactly right. That's, that's a great section. One of the things we all really want is a good reputation. We want people to think well of us. We want people to think that we're beautiful, that we're altogether lovely, that we are as we ought to be. What We never stop to think about this, though. What is it we think we could gain if that were so? Let's say everybody could agree that you're a reputable person and that they can't find anything wrong with you. They've examined you? My golly, the first human being that's perfect according to the world standards. What do you what do we think we could gain from that? Right? Because that's what we're really after. We're thinking that that a good reputation can father peace in us. It can father love in us. It can father joy in us. Now our God becomes a good reputation. Now we're worshiping a good reputation, thinking that will give me the comfort and the rest I need. Maurice. It's curious how Jesus was before Pilate. And he said, I have examined him and find nothing amiss with this guy. And you know what he did to him? He crucified him. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. It's a powerful thing Maurice says there because Jesus did do everything right. And when the world came to examine him, they couldn't find any fault in him. And where did it still leave him? Crucified. Yeah. So the world will be like, well, we can't find any fault in him, but we know something's there. So let's just crucify him. <laughs> That's what the world will do with you. Even if you think you get your life, just, just situate it in such a way that there it is. You, you, you hit perfection. You got it there. This is where you've been working to get it all this time. And you think you really got it. Now you want to show and tell. The world would be like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Let's crucify him. <laughs> right? That's how it will still go down. Because whatever your opinion of the your having a perfect life is, somebody over there said, that ain't the perfect life. They got a different opinion about it. That's right. And, and to use Jim's example, which is so powerful, Jim become persuaded that it's Christ in him that's the certainty of glory. Yep. Not him proving himself. Yeah. Right? And and all of a sudden he realized that that the life he, he thought he could get from proving himself, it was actually found in Christ being in him and him being in Christ. And it becomes real clear then that the way that happens is just by believing on the Father. Right. And, and that's that's how it delivers you from bondage. So bondage, to use Jim's example, sorry for picking on you, to use Jim's example, bondage looks like trying to prove yourself to the yeah. people around you. Yeah. Freedom would look like you're no longer trying to prove yourself to anyone. And to his point, to yourself. Yeah. Because you're first trying to prove something to yourself. Because don't get it twisted. The only reason why you care what anybody thinks about you is because you think Something's wrong with you on the inside first. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? If you don't think there's anything wrong with you, you ain't worried what other people think about you. <laughs> you don't care. The only reason why you care is because you already first think that way. Right? Like with the intensity thing. The world convinced me at a very young age to be as intense as I am is evil. And so the only reason why it bothered me when people said I was intense is because I already decided it was evil. And if I had never decided it was evil, 
it would never bother me for people to say, dang, dude, you're like the most intense person I ever met. If I didn't count it as evil, I would just be like, hallelujah, isn't it cool? <laughs> I mean, I really feel the feels. I mean, when most people are just kind of happy, I'm real happy. <laughs> right? That, that, that's the only reason why it would bother you. Because there's something there already in yourself that you bought, believed. But he's, he's whispered in our ear from day one that there's something wrong with us. Yeah. You know, and the world can, confirms that. And then religion comes along and says, yep, he's mad. <laughs> yep. Yeah, re religion comes along and, and really confirms it. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and so our idea of bondage was God wanted us to be holy. Meaning, he wanted us to sanctify ourselves from death and the fruit of death and to decorate ourselves in the fruit of life. And if we could do that, then we could come to him and show him that we're good. That's the way of Cain. Yeah. Right? But what Abel came with was blood. And what Abel was saying was, not by the strength that's in this dying body will I ever be clothed with life and separated from death, O God, but by your lamb and the blood of your lamb. Will I be sanctified from death, cleansed from death, and clothed in life? That was the way of Abel. Cain was in bondage. He was tilling the ground, trying to produce good fruit. That's what the bondage was. Thinking he would be acceptable in the sight of God by the good fruit he could produce. That's where the church was at. But God's judgment wasn't against Abel. If you notice, God didn't judge, or didn't judge Cain for doing that. He judged that wisdom. And what he judged about that wisdom was, that cannot clothe you. That cannot sanctify you from the body of death. And then what God did was he brought the lamb to Cain and said, Master it, go and offer the lamb. Will you not also be exalted unto life just like Abel? There's a lamb right at your door. Right. right outside your door, crouching down, go and master. The crouching down in that Hebrew word is to, to demonstrate that the lamb was submitted unto Cain. He didn't have to go and wrestle the lamb down. The lamb was giving itself willingly, just like Jesus laid down his life willingly. Right? So you ain't got to go chase the lamb. You ain't got to corral the lamb. You, you, you ain't got to wrestle the lamb to the ground. The lamb is there crouching down, submitting itself unto you. Take the lamb. Offer it. Right? Yeah, I mean, so many years of my life I lived in bondage, even in the name of grace. Because I thought freedom was, I'm free from having to live by all these rules. Right? Well, God never had you under a bunch of rules to begin with. That was a construct of the carnal mind. Right? And so if you view your life with God through the carnal mind and you never have your conscience washed clean from the carnal mind, then you'll view freedom from the carnal mind also. And guess what the carnal mind will produce, even with nice things like the word freedom? Bondage. The way the carnal mind views freedom will still produce bondage. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> and if anybody's listening to this and they're in that place, God's not judging you. I lived in this place with God for the longest time, where I knew he wasn't judging me, and I knew he loved me, even though I was doing all these things, right? And I didn't condemn myself when I realized, oh, this stuff ain't born from life. I just kept walking with God, right? And as you keep walking with God, 
he keeps persuading you that he's with you to serve you with life. And he, as he keeps persuading you that, you find your heart letting go of the things in the world that you thought could give you life. That's freedom working itself out on the inside of you, right? Freedom from carrying the tremendous weight of producing happiness and peace in yourself. That is a heavy weight to carry, to try to look at yourself and look at your ability to situate your life in such a way that it can fill you with peace and love and joy. That is a heavy burden. That is a heavy yoke, right? Jesus yes. said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He, he, you guys have a yoke on you, but take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am full of meekness. For I am meek. Do you know what the word meek means in the context there? And in every context? Not weak. <laughs> it doesn't mean timidity. No. But what Jesus is saying there is that he takes no thought of trying to care for his own life. Because he sees the thought the Father has taken to serve him with life. Just like he says in Matthew, where he says, Consider the lilies and the birds. They neither toil nor labor... Yet your heavenly Father does what? Cares for them. What does he go on to say? Take no thought of your own life. He's not telling you that you need to stop taking thought of your life. He's trying to confront you with the thought that God's taken to serve you with life. Because when you see the thought God's taken to serve you with life, you will be delivered from taking thought to serve yourself with life. That's what meekness is. Where you think little of the strength you see in the world, and the strength you see in your own ability to produce peace and love and joy. You think nothing of it. You look at the world, you look at your own strength, and you say, those things cannot father life in me. And then you think much of God's ability to father life in you. That's meekness. That's what Jesus was filled with. Right? That's meekness. And as you keep walking with God, he'll, he'll care for your life in such a way. Here, here, here. Next thing you know... You're like, this guy really is caring for my life. And a beautiful thing happens. You stop carrying the weight of caring for your own self. That sounds like foolishness to the world. Because the world's life is fragile. Therefore, you have to carry the weight of preserving it, caring for it, nonstop. It's nonstop. Even in Christian circles, you come and say that, take no thought to preserve your own life. And, you, and most of the, they, 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 what are you talking about? Oh, I'm just a simple gospel. I'm sorry. I guess you never got the memo because you thought the father was killing the son on the cross. How could you believe that this guy would care for your life if you think this is what he did to his own son? <laughs> you can't. It's impossible. You'll, your heart will say, this guy is not trustworthy he's not trustworthy he's not as he ought to be his father because what kind of father leaves their kid naked and nailed to a tree a just god oh, yeah. but we need father we didn't see him as father no. on the cross and justice looks much different yeah. from the perspective of a father than it does from the perspective of uh god yeah. Yeah, the world the world still sees God as the one that put Adam in the garden to take care of the garden. That's right. Yeah. Take care of the animals. Yeah. Take care of the animals. Till the ground. 
But justice for a father, what would justice look like from the perspective of a father if his son is in bondage? What does it look like? Freedom. That, that's what justice looks like to a father. Well, God's father. And so we, we come and describe God and his justice from the perspective of the worldly legal system, which is such a perversion. Justice is the resurrection. That's right. <laughs> justice was served in the resurrection when God condemned death. Right? That's what God thought was unjust. It's unjust for people that are in my image to be dying. They're supposed to be after my likeness, which means not dying. And so what's wrong with this picture is that people in my image are dying. What are we going to do to rectify that? We're going to conquer death in the flesh. That's what we're going to do. Justice. Right? That's justice. A lot of people in religion, even in grace circles, think, okay, God's, I'm justified God, but the people, and I'll speak frankly, we despise of in this life aren't. Yeah. So it's like, oh, religion, it's us, it's them. Mm -hmm. And that they're going to get the justice of the world. And that even though we may be having a realization of justices and incorruptible life. But, you know, we, 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 do we really look at other people saying, unpopular people in our life who, you know, either culturally or in work or people we, you know, come around or see in bad situations, and we say, oh, they also have an incorruptible life also. They yeah. just don't understand it, or they will have the justice of the world, and whatever they get, they get they deserve. Yeah. That's right, and that's a symptom of us not seeing the justice God served us with, because the way that happens is when these people in the world you're talking about, we perceive them to be able to harm us. That's when it's easy for our hearts to despise them. And what that demonstrates is we're still we're still learning yeah. about the life we have from the Father and that it can't be added to or taken away from. And that delivers us from being impacted in, in that way by them. And now we see they need justice too. God's come to be their Father also. They just don't know what it means for God to be their Father. They haven't been confronted with it yet. And you become set free. Because... You know, I'd say I'll say the Christians I came across are the most in, in traditional circles are the most easily offended people oh, yeah. in society. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. It's a sad state, but I think you're right, and I think the modern Christian message produces that offense. Yep. Because the modern Christian message has taught people that God was yeah. offended with us. Therefore, it causes us to look at everybody around us based on their behavior and judge them by their behavior. And we're all the time living in offense by everyone's behavior because we say their behavior is in the way of us having the good life that's right there. The good life is right there. And look at them in the way. <laughs> right? No, seriously. And then and then, with, then we're okay, like Doug says, with them getting justice from the world. Yeah. Right? We're okay because that'll get them out of the way. And listen, there's no shame in being in that place. We're just, you're not the one who came up with that, right? The world is what produces that. And you've just been confronted with things in the world. But that's why Jesus, when Jesus was being nailed to the cross, you think he wanted justice? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But do, do you see, because Jesus was busy with God as the father of his life instead of the world, it allowed him to see the people in such a way that justice didn't look like them being punished. Justice didn't look like them being taken out. Justice in his mind looked like them being set free from death, just like himself. Yeah. Because he wasn't busy with the world as his father. Right? When you think the world is the father of your life, and you might think, well, I don't think that. Well, if you think that your life is held by the things in this world, then you're looking at the world as the father of your life. And if that's where you're looking, the moment you find someone that you think is hurting the life you have from the world, listen, you'll desire something for them, and it won't be justice. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be the kind of justice the world offers, right? <laughs> but it won't be the kind of justice that, that comes from God. When you, when you have an elevated uh, concept of right and wrong, good and evil, and that's what you see a lot in the Christian world, you are going to judge the people around you by this elevated standard of right and wrong. Yeah. And listen, when Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, and when, you, when your understanding of that is that you've heard it said, uh, do not commit adultery, but I say if you even look at a woman with lust, when when you think it is a, le a legal righteousness that, that you are to attain to, and that is where your righteousness is held, you're going to judge the people around you. Yeah. And yourself. And yourself. Oh, you know, it's interesting. I don't, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think anybody who met Jesus disliked him or hated him. But it was the government that disliked him or hated him, or the religious system, the, the, or yeah, the, the system of the world that was governing behavior. Yeah, is yeah. is what disliked him. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, it's no different today. Yeah. You're, you're right. He was going to destroy what they worshipped themselves and the temple. But like one on one, I mean, they, I mean, they when they met him, yeah, it's like Pilate. As you were saying, you know, Pilate's like, he wanted to set him free. Yeah. <laughs> and he had his wife with the dream, too, yeah. help right. egging him on. <laughs> I've got to set this dude free. <laughs> but you know what? It's what, 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 But when you're captured by the world system, and, and that is what you operate out of, even though his wife warned him, he knew there was nothing wrong with him. The system itself is what controlled the final outcome of that. The, yeah. the, the belief system that was in the world that he was under the influence of, even though he knew Jesus was innocent. Wow. Yeah. And just to use the system in the world, it's one thing to have an opinion about the systems in the world. We'll just use politics since we just had an election. It's one thing to have an opinion about politics and what you think is the right way or the best way. But when it's crossed over into fighting, you're in bondage. Yes. When it's crossed over into you wanting to pick up the sword, and fight about it. Don't be ashamed, but just recognize this is what bondage looks like. I'm looking to my political system or a set of worldly laws to father life in me. And it's causing me to be filled with angst and fighting instead of just having an opinion. Yeah. Right. And then if, if you live in a country where you can vote, you vote your conscience, where you can have an opinionated conversation with somebody, but it's not turning into fighting. That's what freedom looks like. 
right? If you're fighting, if it's to the degree of fighting over political ideas, then you're still in bondage because you're still looking to the strength in the world and the strength in your own hand to serve yourself with life, right? You don't just have an opinion. You're not just observing something that you think isn't born from life and you're commenting about it, but now you're fighting about it. You only fight for something if you think it can add or take away from your life. That's right. And if you think it can add or take away from your life, something that's in this world, it's just revealing to you there's a part of your heart that still calls this world father. And there's no shame in that because the great apostle Paul himself said he had to learn to be content. And there were times where Paul walked through things that he thought was against life and all that was good, and he thought the answer was for God to remove it. Yeah. But he learned Christ was his sufficiency, not what he encountered in the world. Not even, you would think it's a good thing for, to want the churches to go well. But even if you're looking at the church going well, in order to get your juice, <laughs> you're still looking to something in the world. Yep. Right. You're not looking to God. And Paul, you would think, well, man, I'm, I'm, I'm an apostle. I'm here to preach the, the obedience to the faith so people can be persuaded by the faith and inherit life. And all these Judaizers are messing it up. You would think it would be right to look to that. But he learned that in that situation, his ability to be filled with juice wasn't for the Judaizers to be taken out. It wasn't for their system to be removed. It was Christ, right? He learned. And so if you're in that place, man, just recognize, you know what? My heart is still intertwined with the corruptible things in this world in a couple areas. And it's okay. It just means I keep walking with God, and he'll keep showing me that he's perfect as the one that can father life. And more and more and more, I'll give up the ghost. More and more and more, I'll begin laying down these things. More and more and more, I'll be like the Apostle Paul where I say I'm dead to the world and the world to me. Right? doesn't mean you don't enjoy things in the world. All it means is, is you're no longer looking to the things in the world to father peace in you. That's what it means. You're no longer looking to the strength you see here to father peace in you. You're no longer looking to the strength you see in the world around you to father peace in you. That's what it means. And that's what the Apostle John would come and say, don't be lovers of the world. Yeah. See, religion has come and interpret that as you can't go to the movies. You cannot go to a concert. You can't go to a secular concert. Most certainly not one where they get in a circle and they beat on each other. Those are the kind of concerts I like to go to. <laughs> That's the carnal way of looking at don't be lovers of the world. It's not talking about don't go to Mardi Gras. It's not talking about don't go to a show. It's not talking about don't enjoy these things. What it's talking about is don't look at those things as if they can father peace in you. That's what it's talking about. Don't look at the world and the things in the world as if it can heal your heart from fear and it can produce peace and love and joy in you, right? That's what it's talking about. Because he goes on to say that will produce the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. life. The pride that comes upon us when we think we have the life that the world says is good. That's to be lifted up in your heart. The world has a life, and it comes and shows it to you, and it looks pretty. Let's just be honest. It looks pretty. The pride of life is, if I can attain to that picture, then I will have life. Then I'll be filled with peace and love and joy. That causes your flesh to lust after those things. It causes your eyes to lust after those things. 
You become like Schmeagle from Lord of the Rings. Precious. Precious. Where it isn't just a nice thing that's cool. Wow, that's cool. It's beautiful. It's precious. Right? Where you're going to die if you don't have it. And because you're going to die if you don't have it, you're going to kill who has it till you can have it. Right? <laughs> that's what happens. That's why Cain killed Abel. Yeah. <laughs> you see? Anybody have anything else? I think we, we've gone on pretty good. Anyone want to add on to that? I can't wait for the next sequel. <laughs> well, actually, glory to God. Actually, what, what I was going to say, what I got from that last thing is your message last week was that the only thing that availed is the new creation. And the new creation is God's justice. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's him delivering creation from the vanity yeah. they were made subject to in Adam, yeah. which is what Paul says in Romans. Right? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's his, that's the most perfect form of justice, a new creation. Yeah. One wherein there is no death and sin can never get it right to creep back in. Mm. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, thank you guys for watching online. Thank everyone for coming and uh, God bless you guys. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.